0: No, I'm so super excited. I feel like this is going to be like so healing. I hope I just like don't blubber through the whole thing. (laughs) I don't think you will. Well, no, I can only say that, you know, like when we were going through like the NICU, because especially us living in Wyoming and relocating to Denver to have the babies, I didn't have the resource of a podcast at the time. This would have been so incredible. In fact, I recently binge watched or binge listened all your episodes when I was going to Nebraska for a funeral and all like, like I could find myself out loud saying, oh my goodness, I can relate a million times to what these other moms were feeling. I mean it's amazing just the validation that we got that I got from just listening to it it was like oh my goodness like there's so many of us that have been through that yeah you know the fears the ups and downs that it's like this this I hope you know can get super popular
1: Welcome to the Mighty
0: Littles podcast.
1: Hi, Mighty Parents. This is Dr. Zimmerman, and we are coming back at you today with another parent interview. Today, I am talking to Heather, and she is the mom of quads. They were born at 32 weeks, and I named this podcast Oh My Quad because. Literally, the idea of carrying four babies to 32 weeks makes me go, oh my god. So she is going to tell us all about her journey and what it's like to have four babies in the NICU and four babies at home. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please send us uh, feedback, leave us a review, give us a rating on Apple and share us with your friends so that more people can listen to these uh, great podcast episodes. Heather, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to the Mighty Littles listeners?
0: Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Heather, and I am a mom of six. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. Both were full-term, born full-term Um, and then I also gave birth to quads, um, in 2017. So we have two boys and two little girls that were all born the same time in Denver. And we actually live in Wyoming and we relocated to Denver to have the quads.
1: So tell me about, um,
0: how the quads came to be. So that's actually a a very common question that we get. So I have PCOS, and so I do not ovulate on my own without medication. And I have needed um, assistance with getting pregnant for all six of my kids, actually. And I was on a combination of, um, you'll hear the word like Clomid, but actually a different type of medicine that does the same thing. It helps your body grow eggs, Um, but letrozole. I was on an extremely low dose of letrozole, and I had just gone to my OB out of state um, for an ultrasound to measure how many follicles or eggs I was growing. And we saw two at the time. And so we thought, okay, well, there is a very slim chance of twins, but one of the eggs was extremely small. So we thought, okay, that's it. So the doctor had told us to go home. Um, and then on, I think it was like day 15 or 16 to give myself a shot of HCG to trigger ovulation. Well, uh, I goodness, it was like two and a half, three weeks later, I woke up really sick and it was time for me to take a pregnancy test. So I took one and it lit up like the 4th of July. No joke. The darkest line I've ever had. And I've never had morning sickness so early. So my husband right away said, Oh, I bet it's twins. I bet it's twins. And so we scheduled my OB appointment to go up and see. And I was seven, seven and a half weeks along and went into the the doctor's office. And my OB comes in to do the ultrasound. And we had brought um, both of our big boys with us because we thought, oh, we're going to surprise them and they'll get to see their sibling on the screen. And the room got really quiet. (laughs) I bet it did. all I could see on the screen right away was three flickers. And my husband didn't know what he was looking at, but I've had lots and lots of ultrasounds over the years. So all I could think of was, oh my goodness, there's three. And the doctor, he said, well, you guys, I see, I'm, and I'm, I'm hearing three heartbeats. And then he got super quiet. And I thought, oh no, something's, not, something's wrong. One of the babies isn't growing okay. And then he said, Wait a minute, I hear a fourth. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. We were in such shock. And my husband stood up and put his hands on his head. And he was—he said, what, four? Four babies? And it, it didn't seem real at the time. Um, my OB and I, we briefly spoke. He, he just said, look, guys, this is extremely high risk. He had never had a set of quads before. Um, especially on as low of a dose of medicine as I was on and, and the monitoring as well. Yeah. Um, So he just said, he said, look guys, you know, there, there will be people that will mention to you that the option of reduction. He said, however, that is not my expertise. If that's something you're interested in, I need to get you a referral, but it's not something that we do at all in this practice. And right away, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we said, Nope, we don't even want to explore that option. I think a lot of that was because we have had such a hard time getting pregnant in the past, we welcomed any life no matter the risk at that point. But I did tell my OB, I said, you know, we need to reschedule another visit soon after we kind of had had time to process it.
1: Right. What yeah. were your thoughts? So you know, your husband stood up and put his hands on his head and said, "Oh yeah. my gosh!" four. what were you thinking? Yeah.
0: You know, it didn't seem real. All I kept thinking on the, especially on the drive home, was, "We're gonna have to get a b- bigger vehicle. <laughs> what are we been driving for six kids?" Um, it did scare me the thought of how high risk it was gonna be. Um, just because I I had no experience with a pre with any premature babies. I had had really easy labors and deliveries, unmedicated, quick, like three hours or less. So the idea that we would have babies that could be in the NICU or that I could deliver extremely early, or, you know, the fact that we may not even carry all four was really terrifying, I think.
1: Yeah. When did you first see the high-risk OBs then?
0: So, you know, that's kind of an interesting story. So because we live in Wyoming, we don't have access to like a level four NICU in our state. So typically we have to either go to Billings, Montana, which is two and a half hours away, or we go to Denver for something like that. Um, My OB had actually um, uh, delivered triplets quite a few times. Um, In Montana and in Wyoming, multiples just aren't, you don't hear about them, I guess, as much. Um, and so we actually stayed with my OB in Billings, just him, until we did an MFM or like the perinatologist appointment in Denver at, I want to say, 22 weeks. Okay. So we didn't have any anything else other than ultrasounds every two weeks until that point. Okay. And I think the logic behind that was, let's get to viability and go from there.
1: The benefit of perinatologists early in the pregnancy are to talk about the risks of quads and the possibility of reduction. And if reduction isn't on the table, then really your OB is going to be watching very, very carefully to see if you have any signs of early preeclampsia, which is going to be more common in higher higher order multiples, which technically right. anything more than twins is considered you know, since I am in Denver, I know that our perinatologists work really, really closely with the OBs that are in these more outlying areas, more rural areas. And when they, those physicians see anything, they very quickly refer in. And so I think that's a really nice, safe plan that keeps you closer to home, you know, right. a little bit closer to home. Um yes. And, and then refers you down at the point at which you are now reaching viability, you know, in that 22 to 24 week range.
0: Right. Well, we had actually, we, we had no intentions in the beginning of going or relocating to Denver to have the babies. The plan had been since I had had full-term deliveries with the two boys, we were hoping to get myself and the quads as long as possible. Our school district insurance approached us when they found out that we were having quads and they said, look, this is extremely high risk. You guys are the only set of quads that we've had through the, through our school district insurance. We really, really want to do whatever we can to make sure you and the babies are are as healthy as possible. Would you guys be willing to relocate to Denver if we pay a hundred percent of the medical expenses for you guys, so they they paid our deductible and everything, um, and they also paid for a vacation rental and gave us living expenses for the time that we were in Denver. However, that hinged on the fact that I had that we had to relocate to Denver by twenty five weeks. Yeah. So, and and I think their fear was having to worry about a light, a potential life flight. Mm-hmm out of Montana or out of Sheridan, if the babies were born 24, 23 weeks, and all that that would entail. And so when they said that, I mean, we had no idea what we were going to expect in terms of hospital bills down the road. We, I mean, there was really no way to predict when I was going to deliver.
1: Right. I think the other thing that plays into that is, there are um, Good studies that show that babies that are born at these lower gestational ages, so 24, 27, 28, um, really less than 28, uh, that they do better at a facility where they do it all the time. And so babies do better when they're born in these referral centers at those smaller gestational ages. Um, and because they do better, part of that is because they don't have a life flight. Part of that is because the team does it on a regular basis. There's so Mm -hmm. many different things. Part of that is because the moms are being more closely monitored by the perinatal, by the perinatologists. And so we get the steroids in a little bit, you know, possibly a little bit more aggressively than in a place where most babies go to term. And so they, You view pregnancy through the lens of healthy mom and baby, whereas if you're in the specialty center, you're viewing pregnancy through the lens of high risk and how can we maximize the things that we can do. So you just come at it from a different perspective. And I think part of your insurance company being proactive about that is saying, gosh, if we get you even one week further, that's a huge savings from a NICU standpoint, If we can avoid life flights, that's a huge savings. If we can have you deliver at a place that routinely does tiny babies, your babies will have better outcomes. And since your babies will have better outcomes, we'll have fewer complications that then lead to things down the road. So it's a benefit to them from a cost standpoint, but it's also a benefit to your babies from a, hey, this is routine for us, whereas it's totally outside the box for people that don't do it on a regular basis.
0: Mm hmm. So when yes. did you move to Denver? How many weeks were you? So I was 25 weeks. Yep. And I think we moved like on a Saturday. And we didn't know when we packed up our minivan, we had no idea what we were going to be in for in terms of how long we were going to stay um, when the babies would come. I mean, we were loaded down in the sense that we packed as much as we could for our big boys since we brought them with us. Um, and it just happened to work out that it was during my husband's summer break from school, Oh, so it that worked I was out pregnant. Well. yeah, so, yeah, so he didn't have to take any time off, which was wonderful it, it, over the summer when I was pregnant anyway,
1: right. When you were kind of coming down to Denver and you know you're high risk, what were your initial expectations of how far did you want to get? How far did you think you would get? And, and your expectations for the NICU stay.
0: I think the entire time that I was pregnant up until 24 weeks, I was waiting for like the other shoe to drop, if that makes sense. I would go between trying to Google and read every blog and high risk thing that I could about quadruplets, but then I would also get myself to a point where I would get myself into a panic and a tizzy and have to take breaks off of social media because it was so overwhelming to me. Um, You read read such a spectrum of stories where there's four healthy babies born at 34, 35 weeks And in my mind, I thought it was all mind over body. I thought a hundred percent I could tell myself and will myself to thirty five weeks and that I was gonna show everybody and set the record. And <laughs> average though for quadruplets is about twenty nine, I think. Yeah,
1: twenty nine between twenty nine and thirty-one.
0: Yeah. And so in my, in my head, I honestly went into it thinking, I'm just going to will away every contraction, every ache or pain. You know, I can do this. I went full term with my big boys. I'm going to just push through and do it <laughs> with them. So it didn't exactly happen that way. I ended up um, actually in the hospital at Presbyterian St. Luke's, on, um, put on bed rest for a month at 29 weeks. And it was a huge blow to me, um, more because I had been so active. The days before, um, I had been walking around IKEA and the zoo. I mean, there was, <sighs> I hadn't really slowed down much. Yeah. And I guess I kept thinking, well, if I just keep pressing on, you know, I'm going to have a better chance of making it farther. Um, and at that point, we had already seen the high-risk doctor. I think I was going in about weekly. And one of my very last appointments before he sent me on bed rest, um, he was doing a scan and we absolutely love Dr. Perico. Um, And he said, are you feeling that? And I said, oh yeah, you know, I just, just some cramps, you know, just a little tightening. And he said, no, you have about three hours to go home and pack a bag. And then I'm going to check and make sure that you're admitted to the hospital. I had had um, the day before, actually, we had made an appointment because I got developed like a really bad UTI. And that is kind of what sent me into the beginnings of preterm labor. And so at 29 weeks, I got my first round of steroid shots. And then again, I got the last round at 32 weeks and they were born the next day. So
1: well, and I think I think that that right there highlights why that your insurance company said, hey, let's yes. have you go down and relocate to Denver because you just have these little twinges, but Dr. Mm-hmm. Preco and the MFMs, after managing so many higher order yes. multiple pregnancies are really aggressive with saying, yeah, you can try to do bed rest at home, but you never do it as well as you do it in the hospital. It's yes. just not possible. Um, it just isn't, especially when you have two little boys that are running around yes. as well. Nobody waits on you hand and foot. Your kid needs a potty break, and you're gonna go do it. That just doesn't happen in the hospital. And so by being more aggressive, or I don't I can't think of another term for that, but you know, by just being more proactive and saying, "Hey, you see those little twinges you're having. These are contractions. Yeah. You're going in the hospital. We're going on bed rest. Yeah, that buys you much more time in your pregnancy.
0: Right. It really does. And I think some of the reason I didn't want to slow down was because I knew that it was going to be the last time that it was going to just be me and my two big boys. And I I wanted to try to keep their life as normal as possible for as long as I could. And we were really lucky in that our vacation rental that we were in was actually only 10 minutes from the hospital. And so it worked out that the boys and my husband would come twice a day. They would come in the morning and then they would go off to some activity like the zoo or they would go to the children's museum. Um, My sister-in-law and her family lives there too. And so the boys would go play with their cousins. And then at night after dinner or before bed, they would come and say goodnight to me. And so it was actually, it, it made it all seem so much more normal for them. I think being able to see that mommy was in the hospital, but that they still had access to me. Um, One of the cool things that I think that the hospital there offers um, is they offer the hydrotherapy. So the being able to go float in the pool. And I thought to myself, "Mm -mm, why in the world would this 29 pregnant, you know, 29 week pregnant woman want to go to a pool? And here I'm thinking like an Olympic sized pool, you know, not just like a little round pool. Oh, I think they were physical therapists would take us down in wheelchairs. And I remember the first time that they came to get me, they had my wheelchair out the door and I, I said, no, I'll walk. And they said, well, you're going to walk. Oh, well, I've been walking for weeks. I just walked the zoo. I'll be fine. And I had to like grin and bear it. I didn't realize like how far of a walk I was going. After that, I always took the wheelchair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we, they used to let us go twice a week. And I say they, um, all the other moms that were on bed rest. And that was something that was so unexpected about my time there was that month that I was on hospital bed rest, there was, I think, eight or 10 of us moms that would go and we would float in the pools and sometimes we would cry and we would update each other on doctor's checkups. Or, you know, how the babies were doing that day. And it was such an incredible bonding experience for all of us. And we, even to this day, still chat daily. The bonds that we formed during that time were something that none of us ever expected. Having other moms that, that could relate to us mm-hmm. um, and the roller coaster of, of the journey, it was so cool. Yeah,
1: and it really provides you with a community really of people that are going through the same thing, because this is, it's not common, you know, 90 whatever percent of pregnancies, you get pregnant, you have your baby, everything goes fine. So it's hard to find a community of people who are going through high risk pregnancies and being in the hospital and going down to the pool
0: really provides that. It really provides that. And it was really neat too, because we were all due around the same times. So as each of us started delivering our babies, We went from being on bed rest on that side of the hospital over to the NICU side, where we could still see each other and meet for lunch. Right. And I think that was really cool. And once or twice a year, we still try to all get together in Denver and do what we call like the pool mom's reunion. And it's so fun to get all of our kids together and see the changes. Mm -hmm. And we've been through the highs and the lows, the successes and the really hard times.
1: I don't know. I feel like because you went through something so real, so scary, so similar, uh, all at the same time, there is this bond that forms where you just implicitly trust these other moms. So that you when do. you do have some sort of tragedy, this these are these are your people, right? Like, yeah, they these really are. are. People. Yep. I don't have another
0: phrase for that. These are your people. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it, it's kind of funny. So skipping ahead a little bit to 32 weeks. So the day that I had gone down to the pool, um, it was a big deal hitting 32 weeks yeah. in, in my head. I had talked to Dr. Perico and we had kind of like tentatively set a goal. He was going on vacation, <laughs> like right around like 32 weeks. And he was coming back around 34 weeks. So we said, okay, 34 and five, and he set the C-section date for then. And I thought, okay, it's in my head. I'm going to make it to that day. And I had just come out of the pool at 32 weeks and I felt like just heavy. My body felt heavy. And I remember just a fleeting thought of, is this the end? I mean, really, it was kind of an uneventful bed rest. I mean, there were a few contractions here or there, but for the most part, I mean, I was up, I was still doing my usual stuff, but that night at two in the morning, so I was 32 plus one, I woke up to contractions and I knew, I just, I had this feeling. And before I called the nurse, I told myself, this will probably be my last time to get a shower. And maybe the hot water will slow down the contractions. <laughs> so I hopped in the shower and then I got in bed and I called the nurse and I said, all right, I'm contracting and hooked myself up on the monitor and everyone came in, you know, so they woke up the, the doctor on call and started checking and I was dilated to a one. And so at that point, it was kind of like based on my other labors having gone three hours or less
1: yeah they did
0: they didn't want to wait around
1: right no that makes a lot of sense because you just want to safely get those babies out out.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah i really wanted dr perico to deliver i knew that there were so many capable doctors but there's just something i feel like with women wanting that bond Mm -hmm. someone who's been there through the beginning, you just have a trust for them. Mm -hmm. And I think we were his 23rd set of quadruplets. Oh, wow. So that was kind of special for me too. I really wanted that to happen. Well, he was leaving and flying out that morning on vacation. And he actually came in to deliver. Yeah. And he, I mean, he pulled the babies out and then he was gone. Right. He was there, Yeah. you know, so...
1: That's yep. awesome. They,
0: I, I remember the nurses, they had asked, well, do you want us to wheel you down? No, I'm going to walk down. And so I got to wave goodbye to some of my bed rest mamas. Yep. We had actually been messaging through the night and they were like, well, do you want us to come down and sit with you? You're having contractions. And so that was kind of neat too, in the fact that we would all keep each other informed. Right. When the C-section actually happened, I had never been in an OR before and with quadruplets because of the amount of people that needed to be in there. Um, You've got the isolettes, you've got, you know, two or three nurses per baby. Um, I know that there were, I know you were in on the C-section because I remember you had introduced yourself and I thought to myself just behind all the masks. Yeah, I I I do. I pull my mask down. Yeah. Yes. I was like, Oh, she has really kind eyes. And I remember, I think it was Dr. Crow maybe was in there. Mm-hmm. There was a nurse practitioner. Um, but they also, I think you guys opened up the the OR next to yep. the one that I was in also for the babies.
1: Correct. Because we can do two babies mm-hmm. in the OR. And so anything more than two babies, one of the babies ends up going to the okay. room. And it's literally just right next door. Um, okay. Because uh, mm-hmm. there's there's two C-section rooms right next to each other. And so you literally walk out the door, walk in the other door. It takes less than five seconds.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it was such a, a crazy experience because I had never had an epidural before. And so being pregnant and trying to bend over to make like your spine curve was extremely challenging. And those ORs are really cold. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I was prepared for that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and those ORs are even warmer than most ORs because... We turn the temperature up for the babies. Um, And so regular ORs are even colder than that.
0: Oh, I had no idea. I remember staring at the ceiling tiles and thinking like that they were going to talk me through like every move that they were doing. Um, And I had requested to not have a clear drape. Yeah. Um I was extremely worried that I would maybe see I didn't know like a fountain of gushing blood. I I didn't know. So I was like uh I don't I don't want to see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: I remember chattering through it all and then all I all I kept telling myself was I just have to hear the ba- the baby's cry. Like th- there was just this I I just have to hear that they're going to be okay. Yeah, And it was weird not getting to hold the baby or the babies right when they were born. Yeah, That was really hard. Um, I could hear them. They would briefly kind of lift them over the curtain to Mm -hmm. me, but then off they went somewhere in the room.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And especially with multiples, um, Mm -hmm. because you're, you're trying to get one and then the next and then the next without the placentas pulling away. And there is a, uh urgency to getting all four out. Um and so you do get like this one little glance and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. So tell me yep. about the first time you really got to see your babies.
0: Oh my goodness. So they were at so they were born at thirty two plus one and our smallest baby A was three three. Okay. And then okay. our biggest baby D was three eleven. Okay. So they were all kind of in within that range. I think there was a three three, three seven, three eight, and then a three eleven. Um, I got to see baby D, which they don't tell you this. Well, they do tell you this, I guess, but maybe I missed it. But the baby's positions inside of you, A, B, C, wherever they're positioned, are not always necessarily the order that the babies come out in. Not at, at all. Delivery. It's just kind of I think who's ever closest to the surface. Mm-hmm. And our babies were all born extremely fast. So from the first baby to the last, it was like 70 seconds. Yeah. I mean, and Dr. Perico, his only comment was, was, wow, your uterus is really thin. So I think in a way it was kind of like I was a ticking time bomb. Um, It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. But I got to see baby D being pushed by me and I got to hold her briefly Mm -hmm. um so in my head I think that maybe she might have been the most stable um it's hard to tell
1: yeah part of it is that she might be the most stable and part of it might just be that the other ones had already gone to the other room and then to try to come back into your room is really difficult but it is so important for moms to get to see their babies before Mm -hmm. we take them over to the NICU um and, and sometimes that's super easy to do, and sometimes it's really right. difficult to do, but a lot of places, I can't speak for every single NICU under the sun, mm-hmm. but I can speak for mine and all the places I've worked at. We try really hard to make sure you get to see each one of your babies, right. and then maybe hold one for the for yeah. the multiples if we can, mm-hmm. Um because it's such, that's the normal moment within all of this chaos is you being right. able to to see and hold that baby.
0: Yep. Yep. And then afterwards, I remember because my husband and I had decided that he would stay with me. We didn't know kind of what shape the babies would be in um, or what interventions that they were going to need. So he went with me right afterwards to recovery. Okay. Um, then after that, I was wheeled to mom and baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had said that as soon as my spinal wore off, I could get in a wheelchair and go and see them. Yeah. And so that was about five hours after okay. I really, I really pushed it. Um, I just I needed to see them. Yeah. And I remember like standing up out of bed, like and almost passing out, but like making myself get in that wheelchair and go down. <laughs> it was so important to me to see them. And I didn't realize how little they were.
1: Oh, it's so funny that you say that because as you were talking about their sizes, three pounds, three to three pounds, 11, I was like, oh, they're such big babies. (laughs) And and I think that right there, just that little thing, like you said, I was so surprised at how small they were. And here I am sitting this, this whole time, since you've said their weights going, wow, those are really good-sized babies. That right there is the difference between the neonatologist who lives right. in the NICU and does babies all the time, every day. That's all I do is is, is babies. And we see so many small babies that to right. me, they're good sized babies. Whereas to you, they're like, Oh my gosh, they're so
0: small. Yes. Well, and they put us all in like the quad bay. Yep. So all four were in the same room. Yep. And I remember there was a nurse there, but then you also came out and you had said, Oh mom, you did so good. You know, the babies are, are looking great. And all I remember thinking is why is this crazy lady saying my babies are great. Look at what they're hooked up to. It was terrifying to yeah. me um especially having full term babies before. Yeah. Um to see them in their little beds where everything was dark and they just had so many wires. Yeah, And I know that that was, that's not even compared, able to compare to some moms who have even more things going on. But I thought, oh my goodness, they're so, they're so little. We, my husband and I each got to hold a baby right away then, yep. which looking back now is actually really good. Yep. I, I didn't think that at the time. Oh, really? (laughs) No, because I thought like maybe I'd get to hold all four or I think I was expecting them Well, first of all, I was expecting to have made it farther. Okay. I thought I'd get to like 34, 35 weeks and they wouldn't have any oxygen or anything on. So the fact that they weren't, or the fact also the IVs in their belly buttons really kind of took me by surprise. Um, That was, that kind of played with me for a little bit because those, those two babies that had them in their belly buttons, we ended up not being able to hold until like day five. Correct. So that was something that I really wasn't prepared for. Um, I think it was at that moment that I realized that it was going to really be hard to juggle four babies (laughs) because how do you pick which ones to hold? Right. Um, When? And so just those beginning first days while trying to recover from having four babies plus seeing them and not necessarily getting as much time with them as I wanted. Right. Right was a huge adjustment. I, I would say that all C-section, well, all moms are rock stars, but man, C-section moms, it, it's not easy. No. And I think for me, I didn't really realize what a battle my body had been through until after they were born. Um, little things like trying to roll over or lay down in bed were excruciating for me. I lost a lot of um, abdominal muscles from just, you know, getting growing babies and them splitting that I actually used a walker for like the first 10 days afterwards. And I wouldn't go up to the NICU unless there was a wheelchair available right? because it was just too hard on my body to do that. And I think little things like that now that would have been so good to know that it didn't just end after having the babies.
1: Well, and I think that's a lot of what's what comes out of some of these podcasts that other moms really hold on to like you were saying earlier right like I was saying out loud oh me too right people don't talk about when you have more than two babies Right. It is going to be hard to recuperate from those, from that, from that delivery. Yes, it's a C-section. Yes, yes you're going to lose some blood. Yes, you've lost your abdominal muscles, and now you're trying to care for these babies in the NICU, and you're trying mm-hmm. to care for yourself, and something's got to give, right? Like right. you've got to just make time and allow your yeah. body to heal, and it's not going to happen overnight, even though we want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really hard.
0: Yep, yeah, it's really hard. And I think too, there's, I remember that there was one point um, earlier in my pregnancy, we had met with a neonatologist and he was talking about, you know, like different gestations and how, you know, the odds or the percentages increase for, for babies. And I remember always knowing the risks of things like cerebral palsy, that those were, were real things. And I guess in my head, the difference between 32 and 34 weeks with quadruplets seemed in my head massive. But looking back now, it really worked out well that they were born at 32 weeks because it gave me those extra two weeks to really recover.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting point. You know, yeah.
0: And at the time, it was hard for me to ever be grateful for that because I had had this picture in my head of what I thought it was going to be like. But it was so good, because when we came back to Wyoming with the babies, we knew without a doubt that they were totally ready. There wasn't this, oh, well, we might have to get readmitted, you know, or, oh, you know, because all of our babies ended up not coming home on any oxygen at all, which, you know, in other quad moms, that's not always the case.
1: So it's interesting that you say that you had this picture of what was going to happen. Well, I had in my head X, Y, and Z, or I planned for whatever. And this can be, you know, for anybody really. So a mom that delivers at 24 weeks who then is like, well, I was going to have my baby shower at 30 weeks and and I didn't get to do that or... I was going to take these bump picks or I flew out to Denver for a baby moon and I delivered my baby and now I'm stuck out here and I'm not at home with everything. It's one of those things where I can't say enough to moms. It is totally, totally normal and good to say I wanted X, Y, and Z in order to then move on to But I can appreciate A, B, and C right now. And you can't appreciate what you have until you acknowledge what you wanted. Right. But if you get stuck in wishing for what you wanted that you can't have, that you can't have that. It's gone. Like you delivered at 32 weeks. You cannot be pregnant for 34 weeks with quads. That's never going to happen, right? Like you're not going to get pregnant with quads again. Right. Like, all sorts of things. Like, that is gone. That that dream, that wish is gone. So acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Be upset. Be angry. Be mad. Be mournful. And then move on. And, yep. and part of that NICU stay is trying to figure out how to move on. And, and some days that's really, really hard. Other days it's easy. But some days it's yep. really, really hard. Yep, it is. So... Overall, how would you describe your NICU stay? So f- what was it like to have four 32-weekers in the NICU? <laughs> so,
0: so I think the hardest part was trying to juggle, because we had the two older boys also, was trying to, when I got home from the hospital, they were so excited to have mom back. Um, Trying to keep up with them, trying to pump and then trying to split my time to the NICU so that my big boys didn't feel left out was really hard. And one of the things that I appreciated so much about the NICU and the hospital there in Denver was there were the Ronald McDonald rooms. So the boys and I could go get a snack or we could play for a little bit. And then the NICU would also allow them to come in and see the babies with us. So from the very beginning, our older boys were involved with the babies. Um, They would hand dad dad a diaper for care times, or they would help take the temperature, or they would be there for bath. So little things like that were so important, I think, with them learning to bond with their siblings, Um, and then us just being able to be together as a family there. It wasn't like, oh, the babies are up there. We're going to go visit them and leave you home now. There wasn't that. And we were also really lucky, too, that um, our insurance company flew my parents in. Um, from Wisconsin. So we also had help with the big boys with my parents that were staying with us also.
1: Right.
0: So that whole thing was just excellent. So a lot of times Dustin and my dad or Dustin and our oldest Aiden would go to the NICU and do the first two babies in the morning. And then my mom and I would come up in the afternoon and do baby C and baby D. Okay. And so we would kind of swap off every day. It didn't always work out for us to be there one of us to be there for all four babies' cares. Right. But we tried to at least one of us be there for the first two, and then the other parent would come for the next two. Yeah. So just juggling that schedule was a little bit tricky.
1: Right, the logistics of it all. Oftentimes parents ask about that when they're getting discharged. I always say I think that day that mom goes home is one of the hardest days in the hospital because you're going home and your baby is still in the hospital, and then then you kind of come up with your routine and – It becomes a little bit more normal, but figuring out that logistics, when are you going to come? Who's going to drive you in? How are you going to deal with older kids? And now in the time of COVID or during cold and flu season, those logistics have gotten much more difficult because your parents can't come. The Ronald McDonald rooms aren't open. The kids aren't allowed in the unit. It just has made things much more difficult.
0: That has to be so hard for parents. I think Mm -hmm. it is.
1: I, I also think that there's some silver linings to it. Parents aren't distracted by other things. They aren't being pulled in as many directions because you do get to just focus on the baby When you're in, when you're in the NICU, it doesn't mean that those logistics aren't still happening outside the NICU, but when you're in the NICU, you're not being pulled in any, any multiple directions.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I really liked too, was from the beginning, we set ourselves up with some primary nurses. So we had nurses that were the same for the day shifts and then the night shifts. And so they really got to know our babies and us really well. And we're still friends with a lot of them, and anytime we try, we go down, we try to stop in and and say hi. But I will say that that was something that I really am so thankful for. Um, it was one of our night nurses, Cindy, who had told us at the time she was on night. She said, "You know, you guys may think about getting a primary." You know, for your for your kiddos, and usually they do. I think three babies per nurse, but because of the way ours were situated when they moved down to the grad one, they just did um, one for all four. And ours really the, the stay was pretty. I would I would say uneventful. Um, it maybe didn't seem like that at the time, but looking back, it was pretty uneventful. We did you know deal with you know the the typical preemie things jaundice. You know, moving them down on oxygen levels. You know, moving to open cribs. Their temperatures. Um, it was funny because when we were getting ready to discharge, um, my babies were born the end of August. So school had already started for my husband, and our oldest was starting kindergarten. So he had already been with us in Denver for a month, about since school had started, and you know, nobody was really no one could really give us, they can't give you really a discharge date, um, which I I didn't understand really because I was such a planner, but looking back, it totally makes sense now. They, They can't give you a date. Every baby is different because like for so long, I would look and be like, well, that baby went home at, you know, this, this gestation. Well, why are my babies still here? You know, like just little things like that. And you don't realize how much it depends on how much they're eating, how good their weight gain is. Little things like that. So not comparing the babies to each other was something we had to learn pretty early on. Yeah. Just because Allie is ready and she did it past her car seat test doesn't mean that Addie or baby A is ready
1: yet. I'm always telling parents, don't compare your multiples. Like the, and, and it's so, I mean, I'm a mom of twins. I, I totally know it's really difficult not to compare them. And you totally do. Those comparisons come in. But I think we have to remember that all babies are different and this baby is doing these things and sure you can compare it to that baby who's doing those other things and both of them are normal. They're not the same, but they're both normal. They're both within the expectations for a 32-weeker or a 34-weeker or a two-year-old or a four-year-old. And it is really difficult not to compare them, but it is so important. And if I could figure out a way to predict the discharge date for every child in the NICU, I could stop working because every parent would be like, oh my gosh, this is the best invention ever that you know the exact day my baby's going to go home. It, and it it is, it's just impossible. And it's for people who are planners, it's really, really difficult. And there's nothing that I can do to help that other than right. tell you these are the requirements for going home. And there is a podcast about that. The requirements are always the same. These are the requirements. Hold on to those requirements, not holding on to a date. Don't hold on to the date.
0: Yep. A hundred percent. Yep. So
1: other than wanting to take each one home on a separate day, Mm -hmm. what did you do to prepare to have four babies at home? (laughs)
0: so we were still actually in a rental in, in the vacation rental in Denver. Um, And my husband and son and oldest were already back in Wyoming when um, they actually flew out on a Sunday. And that day we had gotten the call from the NICU saying, Allie is ready to come home. And he was really, my husband was really disappointed because he, they had to fly out and here after that, I was going to come pick up Allie. Um, We had, Four at the time before they were recalled, four rockin' plays, but that was pretty much all I had. Um, because of how high risk it was, I didn't know if I was gonna bring home four babies. Um, so I didn't really prepare. I did go to Costco every two weeks and buy a case of diapers and a case of wipes because I knew that I could return those, yeah. But other than that, I really did not have a lot. I bought preemie clothes after they were born looking back now, I I don't know. I was just so realistic about it. I just didn't want to get my hopes up. Um, that was just a big thing for me. I just didn't want to have to come back to Wyoming and walk home to four cribs set up.
1: Right. I think it also highlights what do you really need to take care of a baby, you need some clothes, you need some blankets and you need diapers and wipes
0: and you need a a safe place for them Mm -hmm. to sleep. And I think that that's something too, that I learned with quads is because these were not our first children. I had already been through the, Oh, you know, all these different swings and all these different toys and special play mats. Um, We didn't, I knew that we didn't need all of that stuff. Yeah. So after all of the babies came home, Um, I think they were all home for like two days with us in Denver. And then we loaded up and headed back to Wyoming. Yeah. Um, And it was my parents and I, um, our middle son, and then the babies. And we stopped halfway in Wheatland to feed babies in a McDonald's. (laughs) And it was so funny because I was still pumping for the quads. And I pumped all the way from Colorado to Wyoming With my hands-free pump, I just sat there and just pumped all the way, figured why not boost my supply? Yeah. (laughs) And that was something too that I feel like looking back now, I wish I would have given myself permission to have stopped pumping and to let go of that guilt. Yeah. Um, because I never, I think maybe the first few weeks I made enough for all four, but then after that I never did. Right. And so right. I went on to pump for 10 months for them, but I was always having to supplement with formula. Yeah. And I look back now and I think that was my way of trying to cope with having preemies was I thought to myself, well, I'm giving them the, the best of me looking back now, there was a lot of lost sleep <laughs> that I could have had if I would have allowed myself to stop pumping sooner. Right. Um, and I, and I think too, I'd had this image in my head of that. I was going to latch these babies two at a time and tandem nurse two, and then switch and nurse two more. And I wasn't prepared for the different latches that they had. Um, one of my girls, oh man, let me tell you, my toes would curl when she would latch. Her mouth was so, their mouths were so tiny and I had gotten so used to being able to see on a bottle. Okay. They met their, their requirement, their nutritional requirements. That was such a nice visual for me to know, okay, they finished their bottle. They can make it to their three, four hour mark. And when they all got discharged, that was something that we also moved them to was right away to a four hour feeds. So we did a little bit more in their bottles to get them a little bit longer so that they could have good weight gain. Yeah. But then we could also have that time in between feeds to run a load of bottles or to maybe even sleep ourselves a little bit.
1: Yeah. If I could somehow figure out a way to tell every mom, whether they have preemies or babies in the NICU or term babies or whatever your worth as a mom is not measured by how many ounces of milk you make I would like to tell every person that and I am a neonatologist huge advocate for breast milk breast milk is best for my preemies we have donor milk we have mom milk we can use both formula is not the end devil that everybody makes it out to be and we can promote breastfeeding and we can promote breast milk Without demonizing moms who use formula. Yes. It, it, is, it is an equally good way to feed your babies for a variety of different reasons. Um, and if there's one thing I could say to all moms, that would be it. And the same for you. Maybe your supply would be down a little bit if you slept for six hours every night instead of pumping every four. And you know, that might've been okay. And what you did was great. Whatever makes you a better mom is, is ultimately what we want.
0: Um, so that's, that's my, that's my big soapbox. I think that's a good soapbox. And I do think that that's something that definitely needs to be explained to moms in the NICU that it's okay. There's so many other things that you're juggling emotion wise, physically, it's important to allow yourself to say, I'm doing the best I can. And this right now, pumping like this, like a crazy person is not the best for me.
1: How did you make it through the first eight weeks with four babies? Because I thought two babies was hard.
0: So my mom, actually, my parents, my dad was here, I think for like a month or so after the babies were born. Um, And then my mom was here. They were born the end of August. So she was with us in Denver from like August 10th, until after christmas and when my dad was here they would get up in the middle of the night with my husband and i because the babies still needed paste fed on their sides um and they kind of had some spit up refluxy issues um and so they would get up with us every four hours they did that for about the first month And we were about, I think on a four hour schedule at that point. And then my husband and I did it and I would sit Mm cross-legged and I would put a baby in in my knee and then I would have another baby next to me in a boppy and he would have the same setup on his side.
1: That's exactly uh, how we did it
0: was that's what we did one baby in your
1: knee and one baby in a boppy a hundred percent that's how we
0: did it it, that's exactly what we did and you know you hear some of the things like you know don't bottle prop you know you should always hold your baby next to your body when you bottle feed them well those people obviously didn't have multiples correct because you, you can't always do that um and so my husband and I we used to watch Netflix and we would sit, both sit up in bed and try to feed our babies. And he was always responsible for making the bottles, whether it was heating the breast milk or um, a multiples group gave us a baby breza, the one that, that is like the Keurig for formula. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we would do. We knew some parents would make like bottles for like all the feedings for a day. It was so quick for us with the Brisa and it made them the perfect temperature. We made them like as we needed them. Okay. Um, And then we would try to nudge each other awake, like through our Netflix shows and be like, hey, hey, you got to wake up, you're slipping over there. (laughs) But that's kind of what we did. And, you know, looking back now, um, well, and even at the time, we were both just so grateful that we were bringing home four healthy babies. Those night feeds, those were, that was the easy time. Yeah. You know, I mean... I don't think we will ever lose that sense of being grateful. We, we know what it could have been on the other side. And so the night feedings didn't seem so bad. Yeah. You know, it it was kind of like the only time we ever got to talk uninterrupted also was at night in the middle of the night. So it'd be like, Hey, it's four in the morning. Um, I actually think um, that was the easiest time. Now I feel like toddler quadruplets That's a whole nether like circus. Yes. They're three and a half now. And I'm more exhausted now than I think those middle of the nights. And mine are all sleeping through the night.
1: (laughs) Well, your days become, I, 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 yeah. So your days become so much louder and busier that you just can't wait for that one hour window of nap and overnight. Right. Um, that, that it does. At the end of the day, you are more tired with toddlers than you are 100%. with multiples. Yes. I, I would say that for me as well, right? Like when I have all my kids at home and I'm finally getting them to bed and I'm like, okay, I am yes. tired. But we did very similar to you with the one baby on a leg and one on a boppy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then
0: every it now and routine. then... It was routine. We had to keep them on the same schedule. Yeah, So one baby woke to eat they all got woken up to eat. Yes. We never strayed from that. And I think you had told us that at one point when you rounded on us yes. in the NICU was, this is my one piece of advice. Keep them on the same schedule.
1: Yes, and do not stray yep. from it. And and it still is my one piece of advice. Uh, and yes. it really does make a difference. And Huge. then there were times where I just wanted one baby. Um, yeah. And so when my, a friend would come over, I would take that moment to just enjoy one baby. And so those moments, I think, when you have multiples are also really important.
0: I agree. And, you know, even now there'll be times that, you know, one of us will take just one or two of the quads to the store. They almost don't know what to do without their siblings, the ones that are left behind. They're sad. They miss them. They want to go. It's so interesting to watch the bond with multiples.
1: What do you think was the best advice anybody gave you before you ended up in the NICU like for for preparing for being in the NICU what was the best advice you got
0: hmm oh that's a good one. Oh, that's hard I think just that it was gonna be a roller coaster and a journey and that there wasn't going to be a one-size-fits-all Um, like I had said before with the pregnancy, I felt like I kind of held my breath through the whole pregnancy. I kind of feel like I held my breath through the NICU and it took a a while after we even got home to Wyoming to realize that this was my life. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one time where we, it was after bath in the NICU and it was like their first bath. So they were maybe a few days old and I got to hold all four in my arms for the first time and they just took them off of their oxygen just briefly for the picture, and holding all four was kind of when I was like, oh my gosh, there's four of them. Ours, after they had moved down to the, to the graduate area, they were in, a, in twin, two twin rooms side by side, so I didn't really see all four of them together the same way as, that I had when they were first born, yeah, so holding yeah. them all together was like Oh my gosh, there's four. And we there were so many cool things in the hospital there. There was like the tiny footprints project that ca- that comes in and takes pictures of preemies. And they did that for our quads. And I'm so glad they did because there were so many pictures that I look back on and I'm like, I never would have thought to have taken pictures of their tiny feet. Mm-hmm. Um, just those little things. And I think too, just just like how our bigger boys had drawn pictures for the babies and hung them on their isolates, little things like that are just so fun to look back on and remember. And so, yeah, the, the journey of it, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, um, learning how to feed preemies from a bottle to pace feed them. That was kind of a, (laughs) that was an adventure. We actually, our very last baby came home two days after the other three And her primary nurse had been gone on vacation. And so she had had someone else who didn't quite know, like, her little quirks of feeding. And I can't can't talk highly about the, the primary nurses enough because our nurse came in and she said, why is she still here? The other three are gone. She should be gone. Took her NG tube out and said, we're done. Enough, Addie. Fed her. She did her feedings in the 24 hours and she was home. Yeah, but, but those those primary nurses really know the personality of your babies. That
1: that is true. Primary nursing is,
0: it's huge. It
1: you 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 get better outcomes. You do less septic workups. Kids go home earlier. Okay. Primary nursing is so incredibly helpful.
0: Then we got home and it was like I was all about stations, stations and routines. There's one baby play mat. There's like one swing, there's one bouncer, and we're going to all rotate through them. I mean, it was just like almost military precision. (laughs) And I kept like that NICU, like you feed them, you put them down. We're not going to sit around and hold these babies all day because then they're never going to want to lay down without us. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that was probably a coping mechanism too. Yeah. (laughs) But routine and baby gates were our best friends for sure.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) What did I not ask you about that you really want to share?
0: Oh goodness. You know, I think one of the biggest things with quadruplets that we were not prepared for was the millions of questions that like going in public brought Mm. us from the beginning. Um, I remember when we were discharged from the NICU and I took all four, we were bringing them back to Wyoming and we stopped in that McDonald's to feed them. Um, there were like strangers trying to take pictures. Um, because it's such an anomaly to see for, um, some of the questions people ask are, are really personal and, and invasive. Yeah. Um, you know, were these IVF babies? No, but does that make them less because they, they aren't, or they are, there's just little things like that, you know, that people ask that I don't think that they think about before they do.
1: People asked me when the twin with the twins were, were they natural? And I'm like natural, or I mean, they're not robots. They're natural yeah. people, right? Like, and this is none of your business.
0: I think about that, like, as my kids grow up, because, you know, our two older boys, you know, they're not multiples. Sometimes I wonder, like, when we're in public, you know, and we're stopped, do they feel left out? Um, You know, I always try to be like, oh, yes, these are, yep, they're quadruplets, but here are their big brothers, Yeah, you know, to try to add them in it. I don't want them to ever feel slighted in in any way. Um, And I think that was something that I was definitely not prepared for. And when you have quadruplets, you just have different baby gear than what most people have. I mean, you have a quadruplet stroller, you know, or you've got two twin strollers side by side, or, you know, here's these four babies that all look about the same size sitting in the stroller. Just little things like that. I wish we kind of would have been, I would have known a little bit more so I could have prepared some answers. (laughs) Most comments are nice. A lot of people will stare um we have gotten there was one time in walmart someone like said to me oh well are they quadruplets and i said oh yeah they are and they said well i would kill myself if i were you that's not helpful no and i'm like like it's just like are you kidding like to us they're like our greatest blessing We, we never in our imaginations ever could have thought we would have quadruplets we would never change it yeah You know, so it's, it's little things like that. It's like, why, why did you think that that was okay to say?
1: Yeah. Are you ready for the speed round? Yes. Okay. Okay. Number one, yoga or running? Yoga. (laughs) Or just sitting. That would be another (laughs) Or just sitting. (laughs) I had somebody say, I'm only going to run if a bear is chasing me. And I was like, yeah, I kind of feel that way too sometimes. I Um, think that's true. Jeans or Leggings. Oh, leggings. Pie or cake? Ooh, cake. Carrot cake. Carrot cake. Ooh, with cream cheese frosting. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that would do it. Um, beach vacation or mountain vacation?
0: Ooh, I think mountain. Most recent binge watch? Oh, man. Oh, I've been re watching Grey's Anatomy. So I guess I would have to say that. Your favorite book that you've ever read? <sighs> oh, man. I'm actually reading right now Mrs. Piggle Wiggle to some of my students online. Oh, I, so I love Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. So cute. And
1: she planted radishes in the girl's skin who didn't want to take a shower, cha- and she grows yes. radishes.
0: Yes, that's the one that um, the chapter that we're reading next. So. Oh, perfect.
1: See, I know yes. Mrs. Piggle Wiggle. I remember reading yes, you those.
0: Do. The absolute best parenting
1: advice you've ever received. Ooh, sleep when the babies sleep. Your single best piece of advice for moms that are in the NICU now or who are facing
0: a NICU stay? Find a community of people who can understand. Um, and I would say, don't be scared to ask questions. Um, I I think we never, ever received any bad advice in the NICU from doctors or anything like that. But I think asking questions um you know, like when the doctors are rounding and things like that are so important because it just gives you like a better idea. Like I remember, you know, always asking, well, how long is it going to be, you know, before they can come home, you know, and not understanding, well, why can't they give me a timetable? You know, but now after listening to the podcast again, it totally makes sense. Yeah, You know, if If we had waited on our last baby or had tried to push earlier for her to come home when she wasn't ready, it could have thrown everything off and created all kinds of problems. But it's not that you guys are trying to keep them there forever. Yes. It's it's because truly you don't want them to come home before they're ready.
1: Yeah, because the only thing worse than being admitted to the NICU is being readmitted to the NICU. Oh, readmitted would be terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's just it makes the second discharge so much harder because you already went home once and now you've got to do it again and it didn't go well. And so there's more anxiety and more fear. And last question, what are you grateful for today?
0: I am so grateful for the fact that I am a mom to six amazing kids.
1: That's awesome.
0: You know, I, our lives are busy. They're loud. They're so chaotic, but we wouldn't have it any other way.
1: I, I just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast oh, today. Thank and you so much. I'm I'm really excited to get this episode out about quads and and multiples because I think it presents
0: its own set of challenges and. Thank you so much. This was so great.
1: You keep saying it wrong. No, podcast.